0: Well hey everybody, it's so good to be with you today. We're continuing in a series really that um, just started a few weeks ago called Fight Back. Now I want to invite you if maybe you're like me, anybody ever need a little encouragement? Like you just need something to kind of interrupt your day and cause you to kind of come back into maybe a better perspective. I'm Gonna start. I I took a two-year break from uh, writing and sharing, and in the next year, I'm gonna start doing that. But I'm gonna do it in a different way. I'm actually gonna do it through text messaging. So here's what I want to invite you to do. If if you have your phones and you'd like to hear from me, okay, just to get some encouragement, get some new ideas. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to text this number. Look at this seven zero four 237 6764. I want you to text that. And if you'll text that, and it'll give me an opportunity starting in January, I'm going to send out just random text messages that are going to be encouraging. If you're a parent, And you want to be encouraged in your parenting. How many of y'all know we need somebody to help us, give us some insight on some stuff we don't see, right? I need some help. Include the word parents, okay? And occasionally what I'm going to do is I'm going to share some ideas that I feel like the Lord is impressing on me. It might not be in a message, but it might be something that would encourage you. If you're somebody who needs that kind of, just include the word ideas, all right, so if, you, if you're a parent, include the word parent. If you're uh, somebody who's just, I just need some incur- encouragement, share some ideas with me. Sh- include the word ideas. Text that number. And again, and just to, I'm going to remind you a few times between now and the time we get to there. I'm, gonna, I'm excited about it. It's a way for us to kind of connect outside of this moment. So if you would, text me there. Now, today's message is actually, I think, the most important out of any of the messages that I've shared. And so if you're here today, God has definitely positioned you today for, for a really big step forward in your walk with Him. I want to talk about something today that I think is so overt and plain in the Bible, but in many ways, it's real absent from our perspective as Christians. We, we live in an unseen war, and I, I've shared this throughout the series That our enemy has a plan of attack. It's so important to understand the way the enemy plans to attack. So just by manner of review, number one, our enemy attacks us from within using our flesh. Our flesh, the corrupted, broken desires, physiological desires, good things that God created that sin and the enemy have corrupted and now used to attack us. Our enemy attacks us From within, using our flesh. Number two, we looked at this last week. Our enemy attacks us from without, outside using worldly powers and systems. This world is not heaven. It's it's broken. It's fallen. And it is consistently preying on us, tempting us to sin. We looked at this last week. And then today, this is what we're going to look at. We are attacked supernaturally by the enemy and his forces. If you're like, I don't know anything about that, you're in the right place. We're going to talk about that today. Bottom line is you're under attack. This is so clear really in the Bible. The Bible makes this overt. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, which just reminds me that the only authentic life, full life, is found through Jesus Christ. We'll never find it in the things that this world is trying to sell to us and get us to buy into. The only authentic life is found in Jesus. But there's a thief that wants to steal it and kill it and destroy it. And in John 16, Jesus said, I've told you all of this. I've told you about this unseen war so that you might have peace in your hearts because of me. It's hard to believe that Jesus would say, I've told you this so you'll have peace. It's not circumstantial peace, though. It's not peace because of where we find ourselves. It's peace because of who he is and what he's done. Because look at what he says. While you are in the world, you will have to suffer. This is going to be a part of your journey. You will have to. But cheer up, for I have defeated the world. I've I've shared this every week. We don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus has already won the war. There's sometimes we talk about the spiritual reality of an unseen war. And it kind of gets in our hearts and it makes us afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus has already won the war. We fight this battle from victory, not for victory. This is not dependent on me. It's not dependent on how strong I am how good I am. I am secured and anchored into victory because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on my behalf. And so for the last few weeks, what I've been trying to do is to give you a battle plan to fight back against the three-pronged attack that the enemy has against you. So the first week, we talked about fighting the internal battle of the flesh. And I told you, here's, here's the battle plan. Number one, flee temptation. Stop trying to manage temptation. Stop trying to manage it, get away from it, flee it. Number two, renew your mind with God's word. Our minds are corrupted. It's like a computer that got a, a, a virus in it. It just does not process some things well. And often that stuff that we got from our families, while they might've been amazing, every family has its own version of brokenness. And we need our minds to be renewed, and we do this through the Word of God. Number three, be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not some frilly experience that just happens in a place like this. It's actually very practical. It has direct implications in the way we live. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I need you to fill me with your Spirit. And I need you to lead me by your Spirit. That's how we fight the flesh. How do we fight the world? The external temptation to sin that is in the world. Number one, we find personal victory with sin before making it a public fight. I told you that we would all be better off If we started looking in our own hearts before we tried to look at other people. Often, the things that bug us the most about other people are the things that are most present in our own hearts. And we need to make holiness a personal issue. We need to stop yelling at the world about stuff that we struggle with. We gotta get some victory in our own life. Then number two, We fight the temptation of more with the discipline of contentment. That's the lie of the world. If one is good, more is better. Corrupted appetites only know one word, more. I want more. I want more cookies. I want more cake. Y'all ever been there? I know I had enough, but that was so good. I just want some more, right? We fight more with the discipline of contentment. And then number three, we humbly surrender to the way of Jesus. The world has a way it wants you to live. It does. And if you're pattering, you're you're pattering your your life after the world. If that's the pattern that you're you're looking to follow, you're you're gonna get what the world has to give. You, You probably need to be asking the question, do I want it? Do I want the brokenness? Do I want the strife, the frustration? Or do I want what God has to give? God's got good stuff for you today. The life that he wants to pour out into you is better than anything that this world could sell. But there's an enemy that wants to take it away from you. The serpent the devil, Satan, the thief, the tempter, the ruler of demons, Beelzebub, the evil one, the father of lies, the ruler of this world, the God of this age, the ruler and authority of the air, our adversary, the dragon the deceiver of the whole world, the accuser of God's people. Our enemy, known by many names, is a present reality throughout Scripture. This is not new. It's actually in the very beginning, and it's all the way, this reality is all the way until the very end. If you notice The teachings of Jesus and the stories of Jesus. Jesus is is constantly talking about an enemy and he's constantly dealing with demons. And the thing is, is that if you look at his crowds, they were never shocked by it. Why? If you're taking notes, I'm going to make a few observations today about This reality, number one, this unseen spiritual war is a basic accepted truth throughout the Bible. This is something that throughout the entirety of Scripture, this is an accepted reality. That we have an enemy, there is an unseen war that is going on and it's looking to ravage my life. 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Elisha. This is a remarkable story. Elijah then followed by Elisha, these incredible prophets that God used in a very important time. Elisha is a marked man. There, there's, it's as if the king feels like he's got a spy and can see into and, and it, he's hated and he wakes up one morning and there are forces, literally forces surrounding. I want you to see this story because this paints a picture that often we don't think about. This is Elisha and his servant, look at this. When the servants of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and, char- horses and chariots had surrounded the city. The, they've come for him. They're, they're there to take him out. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now look at what happens next. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. He's got every reason to be afraid, doesn't he? He's surrounded by people who want to kill him. Look at what he says next. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, this didn't make any sense. Because those who are with them were too. <laughs> it was him and, 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 and there's a whole army. So Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And I'm praying today that your eyes will be opened. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. Obviously, he was already looking spiritually, his eyes were open. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There is something happening that they couldn't see with their eyes. There's an unseen war, and for Jesus, throughout the Gospels, this was consistent, begins with Satan's direct confrontation and temptation. It happens in demonic ministry, where Jesus casts demons out of people. There's an unseen enemy. But there's good news, and that comes out of that passage with Elisha. There's also an unseen army on God's side too. As much as our enemy has, our God has more. So who is this enemy? You know, as we were talking through this message, it was remarkable that our staff was like, I really need you to teach this this week. I need you to share this. What most people don't get this. Who is our enemy? Number two, if you're taking notes, our enemy is a high ranking fallen angel who carried with him one third of all the angels in open rebellion against God. There are three named angels. As you read through the context of Scripture, they all had different jobs. And these angels carried significant authority and power in heaven. But Ezekiel 28 gives us insight. It's a a prophecy against a sitting king. But in Ezekiel 28, the prophecy actually is telling the story of how our enemy came to be. The fall of Lucifer. Lucifer was his given name. Lucifer means the star of the morning, beautiful, ornate, perfect. But in Ezekiel 28, the Bible says that evil found its way in, pride. And when evil found its way in, this high-ranking angel decided that he wanted God's position. I want to be in control. I know better. And so, that which was for God became against Him. And there was a war. Lucifer becomes Satan. The word Satan means accuser. Isaiah 14 talks about, again in another contextual prophecy, talks about what happened to Satan. That he was punished for seeking God's position. This is the open rebellion against God. I don't want you to be in charge. I want to be in charge. I've got my forces behind me. And God, I ain't having none of this, punishes Satan and the angels, now demons that followed him by banishing him to earth and to hell. This is why in Luke 10, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I want you to hear something that is so important for you to understand. You have an enemy that despises you. Every good thing that God wants to do in your life. Your enemy wants to steal it and kill it and destroy it. And the reason he does is because of how much God loves you. Our enemy is against you because you are an object of God's love. Our enemy is ultimately an enemy of God. This is why you're the target. It's also why the enemy knows, and if you're a parent, you've lived this out. There's nothing that will take you out like something happening with your kids. And what does the Bible call those of us who choose to follow God? Children of God. He's after you because he hates God. There's nothing that you can do to change that. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Devour means to destroy and consume. Your enemy wants to dismantle your life, consume you, and spit you out. Number three, we must learn to fight back against our spiritual enemy and his army. You notice what Peter said be alert. Be alert. No, this is coming, this attack is coming. Be of sober mind. Be of sober mind. In other words, stop getting drunk on the world. Some of us get drunk on affection or on control or on really all kinds of things in this world. Stop getting drunk on the world. Let your mind be clear so that you can see what's happening. When's the last time you didn't blame the devil? You fought the devil. You didn't blame the devil for what's happening in your marriage. You didn't blame the devil for what's happening with your kids. You went to war to fight back. I heard a story not too long ago about my My grandparents, my grandfather, his dad died when he was very little. His mother was an addict. She had four kids, two older than my grandfather and an infant at the time. She made a decision that no parents could imagine especially in their own mind. She made a decision to give my grandfather up. I can keep three kids, I can't keep four. So she took my grandfather at four or five years old and drove him to an orphanage and orphaned him. I can't imagine a person The trauma of having lost your father and then having had your mom say, I'd rather keep your brothers and sisters and not you. As a young man, that came out through a lot of uh, abusive behavior. He was, uh, at times, uh, prone to drunkenness, anger, and not just verbally abusive, but physically abusive. One time, he just went too far. And my grandmother told him he was going to have to leave. So he did, he left, but he showed up, drunk on the front steps, yelling, screaming, mad and angry, trying to force his way into the house. As my grandmother told the story, she reached out to stop him, and she touched him and said these words get out of here devil and when she did he fell backwards unconscious and he woke up a different man we've got to learn to fight back. And it all starts with a choice. It's a choice between pride and humility. Proverbs 29 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. In other words, if I choose pride, I can... I'd be doing real good, but it's going to end up bringing me down. But if I will humble myself, if I'll choose a posture of humility, what will happen is God will eventually elevate me. God will raise me up. This is big all throughout the Bible, you're going to see that pride is so very, very important. And it's important in the context of the spiritual war because number one, pride is the open door to spiritual attack. When it choose pride, it's like leaving the front door open and just saying, come on devil, I'm gonna give you a place to come and live. Psalm 10, I read this not too long ago and thought about this in this context. Look at this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. I want you all to leave this verse up for a second. And in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I want you to think about this. What this verse is saying is that there is a consciousness here, right? In his pride, he does not seek God. I choose not to go after the things that God tells me to go after to not do the things God tells me to do. It's conscious. I know God said forgive. I know God said to let go and trust. I know God said, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give. I'm going to hold on to my money. and his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. But notice this next verse. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. This is subconscious. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not creating space for it. Pride is a conscious or unconscious decision to reject. God. It's to look into the heart of God and say, I don't need you. So look over your finances and realize, yeah, I, I get it, God. You're saying you blessed me with this and you want me to give. I'm not giving. To look over your friendships and say, what? The the greatest of these will serve I'm not serving anybody. They're only going to be my friends if they serve me and my purposes or family. What? You want the gospel to be the center of my family? No. I'm the center of my family. If it's not my way, I'm going to be mad about everything. It's rejecting God, it's looking in the heart of God and saying, I don't want what you have. Never stop to think, if I'm telling God no, what am I saying yes to? Like when you look into the heart of God and you say, I'm not gonna forgive them. What are you saying yes to? I'm not gonna give. What are you saying yes to? I mean, I can just tell you, I'm not gonna give. Financially, you're saying yes to, I wanna be broke. I wanna be like everybody else. Yeah, I'm not going to serve my friends. What are you saying? Yes, I want to be selfish. I want the kind of person that nobody wants to be close to. Yeah, I don't want the gospel to be the center of my family. I want to be the center. You want to know what you get with that? Broken relationships. You get kids that don't even want to be around you. It's pride pride. Now, I want to pause and just, there's, in the Bible, you hear stories of those who are possessed by demons, right? Now, I want to make this clear. If you're a Christ follower, all right, God owns you. You surrender control, and now God has the, he has the note to who you are. He he owns your person. He has stamped it, okay? Okay, he owns your he owns your heart this is a part of surrendering but just like we might own a house and choose to rent out a room it doesn't mean that the enemy cannot oppress you okay I heard this story this past week this lady in california decided i got i got a big house and there's a crisis of 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 you know places to live i can i can rent out a a room of mine on Airbnb. I'll just Airbnb this room. And so she did. And it was going great for a few months. And then somebody moved in and they were there for a week and when it was time for them to leave, they hadn't left. And the lady went and said, hey, when, when are you leaving? You're supposed to leave yesterday. Yeah, I'm not moving out. You're not moving out. No, I'm not leaving. Called the cops. Cops show up. Um, ma'am, what's wrong? This lady r- rented a-, a room through Airbnb, and, um, and her time was up like two days ago. She hasn't left yet. I'm sorry, ma'am. We can't. We can't kick her out. What? Yeah, you let her in, and after three days, now she's required by law to receive legal precedent. You have to go through eviction processes to get her out of your house. That's how it works with the rooms in your heart. Pride opens the door for the enemy to come in. Pride creates legal ground for the enemy to come in and attack your life. And sometimes you get, devil, I want you out of here. And the devil's like, nah, I got rights to be here. And the rights are your Pride. You chose pride in your finances. You chose pride in your friendships. You chose pride in your family. Your pride is giving me legal ground to be here. So look at James 4. Look at this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Look at this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Did you see this? Obviously, we love that. Resist the devil and he will flee. But did you notice what it said before then? Submit yourselves to God. You cannot fight the enemy with pride. You can only fight through humility. You can't. The only way to fight back against our spiritual enemy is through humility. Right before this verse, the Bible says in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but shows favor The humble, which means that in our lives, when we choose pride, it's actually creating a flow from God against us. There's opposition coming to the areas that we allow pride to live in. So, the first step to fighting back against the enemy is humbling ourselves before God. It's looking at that area and saying, God, I've not done marriage in a way that honors you. I haven't been submissive. I haven't been honoring. God, would you would you forgive me? God, I, have, I haven't led my family the way that you want me to. I haven't made the gospel in Jesus, the central figure. I've made it all about me. The first step is doing. And then the little book of Jude has A little bit more for us. Look at this, Jude. There's only one chapter in it. And it starts out with these verses, him telling us why he was writing it. Look at this. I was doing my best to write you about the salvation we share in common when I felt the need of writing at once to encourage you to fight for the faith. So he's saying, Listen, I was just gonna write about what we share, the salvation. But I I wanted to write and just tell you to fight back, okay? For some godless people have slipped in unnoticed among us, persons who distort the message about grace, the grace of our God, in order to excuse their immoral ways. So he's, he's saying, this is why I'm writing this short little note to you. There's some false teachers among you. In verse eight, he clarifies this. Look at this. In the same way also, these people have visions which make them sin against their own bodies. They despise God's authority. What does that mean? They're prideful. They're prideful. And they insult the glorious beings above. What are the, He's saying, listen, not only are they prideful, but they literally discount and literally insult this spiritual war that we all find ourselves in. He's going to quote something that would have been in writings for those people in that time, a very famous story about the body of Moses next. And in this, there is such helpful things to see how to fight back. Not even the chief angel, Michael. All right, here's another angel named Michael. Not even the chief angel Michael did this in his own quarrel with the devil when they argued about who would have had the body of Moses. Michael did not not dare condemn the devil with insulting words, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I want to stop and break this down as we get ready to wrap up this message. Look at this. Why the body of Moses? Because Moses, not allowed to go into the promised land with the people of Israel. God knows if the body of Moses goes, they're gonna worship Moses and not God. So Moses, you're gonna die, go up on that mountain. In the very end of Deuteronomy, we see the last moments of Moses, all right? So there's a war happening. It's Lucifer and Michael, both strong angels and Jude says I want you to pay attention here Michael did not fight back by using his own power and authority he said the way that he fought the devil was to say the Lord rebuke you it's so simple that we miss it number three we fight the enemy by rebuking him in the name of Jesus This is how we fight the enemy. We rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. To rebuke literally means to turn back. So when my grandfather was trying to get in the door, and my grandmother held her hand out and said, get away from here, devil. She rebuked the devil. Get away from me. Is so present. Think about how Jesus deals with Peter when Peter has just made the confession. Jesus, you're the Son of God. And then Jesus, I'm gonna die. Peter, no, you're not. And and now what does he say? He says, Get away from me, Satan. That's a rebuke. The very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's tempted by the enemy. He takes them here. I know you're hungry. Command these stones to turn to bread. Man doesn't live by bread alone. What's he doing? He's rebuking him by the word of God. Oh, this. No, the word says. No, this, the word says. And if you pay attention in that, the verses Jesus quotes are within what we would call two chapters in the Bible. It's almost like he did his devotion that morning. God gave him all the ammunition he needed for that evening. To rebuke is to turn back. When's the last time you didn't blame the enemy, you fought back against the enemy? You rebuke the enemy over your marriage. You rebuke the enemy over your kids. You rebuke the enemy over your finances. But here's the thing, you can't rebuke the enemy when you're rejecting Jesus. When you're, turning in pride to your own way, doing finances your own way, you can't rebuke the enemy in your finances. You have no legal ground to do it because it's not your authority. It's his authority given to you. You have to be humbly submitted to him, which means that the areas that we need to rebuke the enemy over are places where pride has allowed the enemy to get in. The power to rebuke is found in our repentance. If you're struggling with your kids, what you need to do as a parent is take a step back and say, God, where have I failed? Not where are they failing? Not what's going on in there. God, where have I blown it? And then you get on your face and you repent to God. And when you repent and you stand up in the authority of God, you rebuke the enemy over them. In your marriage, God, where in my pride have I failed to be a submissive and loving wife? God, where have I failed to submit my family to you? God, as a husband, where? And then you get on your face and you repent for it. And you stand up in the authority of Jesus Christ and you rebuke the enemy over your marriage. You will never be able to rebuke the enemy when you're doing your life your own way. The power to fight the enemy is only Found in Jesus and shared with us. His authority is shared with us when we're humbly submitted to Him. It's so simple, it's so present throughout the entire Bible, but it requires submission and humility out of you.